Good Sunday, South Valley Community Church. We are picking up and continuing on in our series in the book of Acts entitled Lessons from the Early Church. And we're going to continue with a theme that we've seen developed in the last few weeks, and that's this theme of persecution against the church, the first followers of Jesus, and the spread of the gospel. Today will be a little bit different in that it's continuing looking at persecution, but we also will get a glimpse into the mystery that is the will of God. Now, 30-second catch-up just from the previous parts of the series. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's given the church the mission. He's told them they're going to be witnesses uh, and take the gospel to the ends of the earth to all nations. And the book of Acts has been tracking the, the spreading of the gospel. And as it spreads, we've seen these incidences where persecution breaks out. And we're going to pick up with one of those same things. Same occurrences uh, in the book of Acts chapter 12, specifically verse 4, and we're picking up right at a point where Peter has been arrested, and we'll take a look at what happens to him as he's in prison. So Acts chapter 12, verse 4. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. So King Herod is the one who arrests him and puts him in prison, and he's just sort of awaiting possible death at this point. Now, what's interesting is it says that the, the rest of the church is praying fervently. It's, they believe God can intercede and do something. And what's, what's interesting is that that's, that's the only thing they have at this point. They don't have power. They don't have influence. They can't go to the authorities because the authorities are the ones who've arrested Peter. So they've got like nothing else going on for them. And it's, it's this situation where they are powerless and the only power they have is, is the power of prayer. That's the only thing they possess. And sometimes in life, we've been there. You might have been there, right? Where it's so out of your hands. Circumstances are so out of control. You, don't, you can't do anything about it. And the only power you possess is prayer. And you're relying completely on God. And that's what the church is doing on behalf of Peter. It goes on verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial that very night, Peter was bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone around the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off of his wrist. Get dressed, the angel said, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. Now, this is sort of a standard Roman practice at this point. Um, there are sets of guard that typically rotate every three hours for the night shift lasting 12 hours. So there's like steady rotation so that no one could possibly escape. No one's supposed to fall asleep. But nevertheless, this is what occurs. And the angel uh, says, like, get up. Let's go. Put on your sandals. And this might be an illusion at, at this point to the story that's found in the Exodus with the Passover. If you're familiar with that, God tells his people to be ready, ready to go, like keep your sandals on, and at any moment the deliverance could happen. And what could possibly be occurring in this passage is just a subtle allusion to that story. And why? Because Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wants to communicate possibly that the same God who delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt is the same God who has the power to deliver Peter from prison has the power to deliver you in any circumstance you might face. It goes on in verse 9. So he went out and followed him, and he did not know what the angel did. 
that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which was opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grass and from all that the Jewish people expected. Now, important note here. Um, Peter doesn't even believe what's occurring. See, oftentimes modern people can look back at ancient people with sort of like this chronological snobbery. Like people back then, they were dumb, they were gullible, they believed miracles were happening all the time. And that's why the first Christians believed Jesus rose from the dead, because they believed people come back from the dead. It was, it was normal. That, that's absolutely not the case. People were smart. It wasn't like modern science came along and taught the world that dead people don't come back. People knew that. And they knew certain things would not normally take place. And Peter, who has seen miracles, is experiencing this thing. And he's just like, when he finally comes to his senses, he's like, now I know this is real and it's not a vision. This is something that, that truly is happening. People were not gullible. They were not stupid. Now, the other important note here is it says he, he, he's escaped from Herod's grass and from all that the Jewish people expected. Now, what you need to know is that there is an intra-Jewish debate going on. And sometimes the Bible will say something like, this is what the Jewish people wanted. And that has been abused historically to breed anti-Semitism. But what, what, what you need to know is that the first Christians, they're all Jewish too. The disciples, the apostles, the first followers of Jesus, everyone's Jewish at this point. This is a, is a debate and a fight among the Jewish community about who exactly the Messiah is. So you can't take this and spin it any other way. And it goes on. As soon as he realized this, realized it was a real miracle, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer him. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. Now, this is its sort of comical at this point and there might be a some, some more comical elements in the next few verses too. I mean, it's not comical for Peter, but as a reader, you're looking at it and you're kind of like, whoa, this, this, this girl goes and she sees that it's Peter and she's so excited that she leaves him at the front gate. Now, if you're Peter, you're going like, dude, these people could be after me. If they catch me again, I'll go back to prison. They're going to kill me. And it's just sort of like, dude, did she just leave me standing outside at the front gate. And it's like, yeah, that's what happens. And, and, then, and then it goes on. It says in verse 15, she tells the other people and they say, you're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, is it his angel? Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord brought them out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and left and went to another place. Now, again, so Peter's just kind of posting up. He's left at the door. People don't even believe that this miracle has occurred. And then as they realize it's him, as they get closer, they're so amazed that they're apparently making some noise. And Peter's like, be quiet, like quiet down. It's it's like this, this scene that's like, that's uh, sort of funny, but not funny. He's like, be, be quiet, calm down. Like there's people out here to, that are, could kill me, recapture me. Now what they think has occurred is they say, there's no way it's Peter. There's no way it's a miracle. It's his angel. Now, 
many Jews in the first century believed in something akin to what modern people might call guardian angels. And there was a kind of belief that every person had an angel assigned to him. And some people went even further to say that the angel that was assigned to them actually had the same appearance. So it's possible that some people in this crowd are saying, hey, there, there's, there's an angel, it's his angel, it's his guardian angel, or it's possible that they're just talking about a simple messenger. The Greek word angelos, where we get angel, also just means messenger. So it could be them saying something as simple as, one of Peter's messengers is at the door, like giving us an update on his condition. We don't know, but the main point is, is that they don't believe the miracle has happened. Now follow that. These people were praying fervently. These people were praying, God, God, do something, act on our behalf. And when it happens, they are so shocked at first they don't believe it. And if you're honest with yourself, there might be times in your life where you find yourself praying and you're praying because it's like, well, this is what I should do and I want God to deliver. But deep down, even in your prayers, you don't believe God has the power to act or maybe he doesn't care enough to act. And I don't know exactly what was the psychological state of these followers of Jesus. Nevertheless, the point still stands. When the prayer is answered, they are so shocked they can't even believe it. So we should approach God knowing that the impossible, what we deep in our gut may not even feel could happen, can actually happen. God shows up. Now after this, this is what's interesting. Um, Herod finds out, and he's mad, of course. He's he's furious. He kills the guards, which would have been standard practice in, in Roman times. If, if you let go of a prisoner who was sentenced for something and he got away, the guards are responsible and Herod kills them. Now, Peter is delivered. And then what the book of Acts does here is fascinating. It gives you a kind of spotlight look at the last days of Herod. And you're supposed to see the last days of Herod through the lens of his evilness, his wickedness, and his tyranny. You're to see it as a judgment and an act of God. Verse 20, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the kingdom's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. And here's the important part. On the appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. So you're supposed to see Herod, picture it. He's seated on a throne. He's dressed in some type of regal garments and he stands up and the people start praising him as a God. And rather than say like, what are you doing? Only the one true God is worthy of worship. Like stop this. He receives this in some sense, this kind of praise as a God. And it says that God strikes him down and says he's eaten by worms. Now, at first glance, that sounds kind of remarkable or strange, but actually we have other sources that conform this, confirm this. So Josephus, a first century historian, has this same incident, and his, his record of the event is nearly identical to the biblical account. He just adds one small detail that's important. It says that Herod was dressed in a garment that was either made of silver or it had silver in it, and he was seated in a way so that as he stood up from his throne, the sun hit it, and there was like a shining effect. 
And so the point is, is Herod's dressed as if he's, he's more than a man. He is an angel or a deity or a possible God. And he stands up in his silver garments and he's standing there and the people go, this is incredible. This is the voice of not of a man. This is of a God. And, and Josephus confirms that shortly after, exactly five days after this incident, he would die. And most historians think he died of some type of intestinal worm type of thing. And it, it records, Josephus records that the five days were extremely painful. He was crying in agony. And so this is a brutal kind of death of this evil tyrant. And sort of that's the, the kind of apparent ending to this story. God comes through and he delivers Peter from the wicked tyrant. And then right after that, swift justice comes to the evil tyrant. And it's like, praise God, this is an amazing story. God delivers and justice comes. And let's just move on from there. But I want you to know that that's not exactly the whole story. And some of you might have caught this. I started at an inter interesting spot. We started at Acts chapter 12, verse 4. I skipped the first few verses. And I, and I did that for a reason. Because the first few verses put the story of Peter's deliverance in proper place. Let's go back to how this chapter starts. Remember, I started in verse 4. Let's start in verse 1. And this is what it records. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some of those who belonged to the church. And he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. James is killed by King Herod. Now, this is important for several reasons, but first, what I want you to know is the Bible doesn't sugarcoat reality. It doesn't just give you Peter's deliverance. Like, just trust in God and pray and everything works out. Peter's delivered and the evil tyrant dies. That's not the picture it's painting. Before the deliverance of Peter, you get the death of James. It doesn't sugarcoat reality. And it's like, why, why do you think the book of Acts is, is putting these two stories right next to each other? They're right next to each other. Peter is faithful and he dies. Sorry, James is faithful and he dies. Peter is faithful and he's delivered. Both, both people do the right thing, but one is rescued and one is not. And it's putting these stories right next to each other. And it gives, it gives us a glimpse into the mystery of God. But it also is 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 doing something incredibly important for how we behave and how we're obedient to God and how we see the mystery of the will of God. As followers of Jesus, we are called to do the right thing independent of the outcome, independent of what we want the outcome to be. So one person is executed, one person is delivered, but both are called to faithfully give testimony to the resurrected Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the outcome is, you are to be faithful and obedient. And another thing it teaches us is that you could be doing the right thing and have God's approval for doing the right thing and still something bad happen. So James is, is being faithful. He has God's approval. He's carrying out the mission of the church and yet this horrible thing still happens to him. He's still killed. He's still murdered. He's still executed. So you can be doing God's will and still have something horrific happen. And likewise, the kind of opposite of that is just because good things are happening to you, that doesn't equate with God's approval. So you can, for example, get, get 
a big raise at the at, at your job and you're so excited because now you're making more money um, and you worked really hard for it and you're like, this is directly because God must be approving of my behavior. When in reality, maybe you got that raise because you've been working way too long of hours. You haven't been a good father at home. You haven't been a good husband. You haven't been giving enough time to things that ultimately matter. And you've worked your way up now to you're just on the, the grind of climbing, climbing the corporate ladder. And so just because you got something that you thought was good does not mean it's, it's blessed and approved of by God. And likewise, you can have horrible things happen, horrific things happen. And the temptation is to say, I must be doing something wrong. I must be out of the will of God. God must not be approving of me. And what this story teaches, that, that that's not the case either. James, along with the majority of the apostles, save one, all ultimately end up getting killed for their faith in Jesus. So just because horrific things happened, it doesn't mean God is not necessarily approving of you. Which teaches us something about integrity and doing the right thing. Christians have to learn to be obedient, a word that people don't like, to do the right thing, no matter the consequence. No, no, no matter if there's deliverance or execution. And this is what these two stories model for us. And it also models for us that we are to pray for something good to happen because God can come in and intervene, but we can't figure out with like mathematical precision the, the mystery that is the will of God. We are to trust him and walk with him and know that he is sovereign and that the world is far more complicated than we could ever imagine. We have an entire book in the Bible dedicated to this, the book of Job. It deals with something called retribution theology, this idea that Good things happen all the time if you do good. And if bad things are happening to you, then it must be because you're doing bad things. That's called retribution theology, and the book of Job attacks that. The first followers of Jesus were often in the very will of God and faced immense suffering and persecution. So we are called to do the right thing independent of the outcome. And that's something every believer must work on. You have to ask yourself and you, you pray and you talk to the Lord. Lord, am, 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 I want to be that type of person. I want to do the right thing. I want to be faithful. I want to be obedient, independent of consequence or outcome. Now, there's a question that, that arises. Okay, if good things happening or bad things happening don't necessarily equate with God's approval for my, for my life or how I'm being, how do I know I am approved of? Like, wh where do I turn to know that, that God is approving of me? And the Christian answer to that is different than any other answer given. The Christian answer is you don't look at, you know, what you are doing in order to discern God's approval. You look at to what God did on your behalf to know of his approval. You look to Jesus who laid down his life, who died in your place, who went to the cross on your behalf to forgive you of sins, to adopt you, to bring you into his family. And when you know that you are approved of precisely because of Christ's work, and then you fix your eyes on Jesus and say, I know I am approved. I know you love me. I know nothing can separate me from your love then maybe you might be at a place where you can say, if nothing can separate me from the love of God, then I, in this moment, can do the right thing independent of outcome or consequence. Because ultimately, the believer is secured in the big picture, not something for just this life, but the big picture of eternity. 
And so you trust in his work. You find your approval in what he's done. And because of that, you live out a life of faithfulness and obedience. Let's pray. Father, we do want to to be obedient. And we don't want to see that as as an ugly word. We want to see that as a beautiful word. We want to serve you. We want to love you. And we realize that we can be so fickle down here on earth that we we might behave if 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 it rewards us or if there's something in it for us and and if there's a consequence that sometimes we can maybe shy away from it but we want to be people that model what takes place in this chapter faithfully serve you in the good and the bad and remind us daily that you love us you died in our place and you've adopted us into your family And may we treasure that truth above all things, even our life here on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.